Welcome to the Centerpoint Church podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. This week's message comes from 1 Samuel chapter 19. So friends, I'm humbled to get to open the scriptures with you and to spend a little time. We'll be in 1 Samuel 19 today, so if you want to find that. But I'm humbled to be able to, to get to do this. And, and we're, we're in our fourth week of this series called Pursuing God's Heart. And as I think about this series, there's a, a lot of things that run through my mind, like things we watch and listen to these days. Show of hands. This is uh, audience participation time. Show of hands, who likes a good drama? Or how about a mystery? Anybody, any mystery fans in the house? Apparently, there's a, a lot of us that enjoy a good drama or a good mystery. Drama and true crime podcasts are in the top five of, of that genre that is listened to in the United States. And, and I confess that when Kathy and I are on a long road trip, if we're going across the street to see our, across the state to see our grandkids or go to a game or something, we listen to uh, crime podcasts or, or good mysteries. TV shows and, and series on any number of streaming services are steeped in drama. Some of the longest-running shows in television history are dramas, like Law & Order SVU. It's in its 22nd season. That's ridiculous. Or, or Grey's Anatomy. Any Grey's Anatomy fans in the house? Grey's has been on the air for 18 years, and it's still the top-rated show in that 18 to 49-age demographic. As a people... We love crime, and we love drama for a variety of reasons, suppose. And one of those, I dare say, is that uh, it's probably baked into our DNA. I mean, there's something captivating about the human condition that wants to enter into the suffering of another. Pastor Jamie last week said, we love the underdog, and that's true. And I think there's something about us that we also love to enter into the suffering of another. That where we want to see what happens when somebody reaches a boiling point or a breaking point. Have you ever reached a boiling point or a breaking point? Have you had one of those moments of your own? Because in those moments, what did you believe was happening? What stories did you tell yourselves about God? If you've been at your wit's end or reached a boiling point, you're not alone. I want you to hear me. You're not alone. And it's why we believe this series is so necessary. Now, over the course of the last few weeks, we've heard a lot about the prophet, priest, and judge, a guy named Samuel. And we've heard a lot about the first king of Israel, a guy named Saul. Saul has to have a little bit of whiplash, right? I mean, first he's anointed by Samuel as the king, and the Spirit of God comes upon him, and then he starts to do things that aren't the way that things should be done, and then the Spirit is taken away from him. And, and God chooses someone else to be king, the, the ruddy young shepherd, David. 
and from all the sons of Jesse. David seems the least likely to be king. And fortunately for us, God is the one who chooses, not us. God is the one who does the choosing, and God saw all he needed to see in David to make him king. So God tells Samuel to anoint David, and the Spirit of God came powerfully upon David from that point on, from the point of his anointing on. And it's this Spirit, friends, it's this Spirit, God's Spirit, that also enabled David to slay the giant Goliath, as we heard last week. With just a sling and a couple of smooth stones, it's pretty amazing. And it's also this same spirit that enables David to elude Saul's attempt to kill him over and over and over again. And and to still be around in chapter 19, where we're going to be hanging out. And, And I wonder what stories David told himself about the situations he found himself in. I wonder what stories David told himself about God. Now, there's a lot happening, and and there's much for us to learn and discern if, if we're going to pursue God's heart. As God's people in this time and in this place, it it matters that we know God's heart. And it matters that we know our own hearts. It's important that we pursue God's heart in order to reflect and reveal Jesus' heart in all of the places where we live and work and play. And I want to say that all of this, friends, all of this comes at a cost. Because the heart is, a, is this tender muscle, and, and it's one that I steward really carefully. If I put my heart out there for you and you step on it, I'm less likely to put my heart out there, and I, I bet that's true for you too. I mean, we don't often take risks, we don't take chances, and, and we keep to ourselves We're rarely open and honest with the stories we tell ourselves. And this I know for sure. If I don't know God's heart, it's not likely that I'll open my heart up to him. And if that's true, Jesus' heart won't be reflected in my life or the world. I'll continue to do all the things I want, pursuing the desires of my heart without a thought for what God desires from me or for me. And friends, the impact of that is significant. It's significant on me, it's significant on you, and and the world in which we inhabit together. And you're like, so what? Why why does that really matter? Well, if, if the chief end of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then then we and if we're fixated on our wants and needs and desires, we're likely not fixated on God. So we turn away from God and do not pursue God's heart, leading us to not knowing God's heart, our own hearts, and it's all a rather vicious cycle. And all of this, friends, all of this is to say that as we turn to the text, I want to hold up these three ideas for you. We can trust God. God protects us. We don't have to be afraid. Now, we can, but we don't have to. We can trust God. God provides for us. We don't have to be afraid. And our friend Saul seems to have forgotten this again today. Saul forgets over and over again. And Saul's envy, catch that, 
Saul's envy creates a a topsy-turvy relationship with God, and it's on full display in chapter 19. Verse 1 says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Now, I've given you some context, but what an interesting way to launch into a new chapter in the scriptures, right? I mean, obviously there's more for us to get here. Last week, we left off at the end of chapter 17, and and much has happened in chapter 18 that I'm simply going to highlight for you today so that we can really sink down into chapter 19. The reason Saul wants David dead is because the spirit has left him, and worse, the reason Saul wants David dead is because it's become clear to Saul that the spirit is with David. Saul is overwhelmed with envy. And I say envy because what I'm learning these days about envy and the difference between envy and jealousy is pretty significant. In her recent book, Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown explains that research shows envy and jealousy are significantly different emotions. Envy occurs when we want something that another person has And jealousy occurs when we fear losing a relationship or a valued part of a relationship that we already have. Some envy, the research shows, comes with some degree of hostility as in, I want that and I don't want you to have it. It sounds like our boy Saul. Saul has already tried to kill David himself. Then he plots to have the Philistines kill him. And ultimately, Saul becomes David's enemy simply because everything David does is successful. Have you ever experienced anything like this? Have you ever looked at your life and then looked at others and and wondered why everything seems to go well for them? Like, I work really hard and I can't get ahead, but everything they touch turns to gold. Or, or why does that kid get to do that, but ours doesn't? And, and why does God let bad things happen to me? I'm like, I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm not Saul. Or have you ever felt snubbed by someone for some unknown reason? Maybe you've been good friends and something changes with no explanation why. Perhaps you got a part or a promotion or or a position on a team and, and wonder why is God letting these people ghost me all of a sudden? Why do they just turn and run away from me? I want to hold up for you that both... The one who's looking at his or her life and and then the one who is snubbed or or ghosted can be brutally painful. And God can seem distant. And I wonder if there's another story we can tell ourselves. Friends, because the stories we tell ourselves matter because they impact the way we show up in the world. Is in our text, all of the envy and jealousy... And all the success seemed to be because the spirit of the Lord came on David powerfully and continues to fuel his success. If we look back, we're going to look back at chapter 18 just a little bit. We hear Saul being taunted by the women from 
all the towns of Israel, singing and dancing and laughing. The text says this, as they danced and sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Ha, 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 can you hear it? Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Now, now I don't know about you, <clears throat> but one of the worst feelings in the world for me is when I feel like I'm being mocked. It pushes all the buttons. When someone publicly tries to shame me, the stories I tell myself about them, about God, and about myself are really disempowering. How about you? I mean, Saul makes one meaning from this event, and it's not good. David makes another, and I dare say that the story David tells himself is one based on his anointing. The story is based on the goodness of God in his life. Friends, we can trust God. God provides for us, and we don't have to be afraid. A couple of weeks ago, I used this phrase, and we showed you from, from the 1 Samuel 16, I told you God makes a way where there seems to be no way. Case in point, Jonathan and David become deep-spirited friends. Jonathan is Saul's son. And there's a, there's a lot more that we'll say about Jonathan next week. But today I want you to see that we can trust God. We don't need to be afraid because of the way God provides for David in the person of Jonathan. You see, God uses Jonathan to protect David. Jonathan warns David that his dad is looking for any chance he can get to kill him and tells David to go into hiding, telling David he will take care of things. Back to, the, back to 1 Samuel 19, verse 2. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. This, this feels a little weird, right? Go hide, but tell me where you're hiding, and I'm going to take my father there who's already tried to kill you with me, and then I'm going to talk about you. I'll speak to him about you, and we'll tell you what I find out, Jonathan says. Can, can David hear them talking? Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, not let the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you go do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. I mean, the, the, the spirit of the Lord is obviously with Jonathan, kind of like he was with David, right? I mean, Saul actually listens to his son who is challenging his authority as both his dad and his king. So, so Jonathan called to David and told him the whole conversation. He brought David, or he brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before, which means he's back in business. He's back serving Saul 
But as is often the case in in this drama, the the blissful reunion is rather short-lived. Verse 8, once more war broke out. And David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. And, And David is again successful. He's successful on the battlefield and returns from the battle to be Saul's servant. So he picks up one of his first loves, the lyre, and he's performing for Saul. But an evil spirit of the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. Because of course, Saul is sitting around with his spear in his hand, right? Don't you, when you're relaxing, sit around with a spear in your hand too? This seems pretty natural. I mean, after a long day's work, I go home and grab my spear and I sit down, and throw, eat some supper and throw a game on. Isn't this something that's a little unusual? And while David is playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. And good grief, right? I I think I'd be having it out with God by now. This is now the second time that Saul has tried to kill him by pinning him to the wall with the spear. It happened back in chapter 18. And Saul promised Jonathan. And David trusted him, and, and yet his life continues to be at stake. The story David could be telling himself is to get out of here and never trust anyone again. Now, we don't read any of the thoughts that are running through David's mind here in 1 Samuel 19, but we do have access to some thought bubbles in Psalm 59. Do you know what thought bubble is, right? Like from the comic strip, aren't you glad that we, normally we don't have thought bubbles so that everybody can see what we're thinking? But, but we do get to peer into what David is thinking here for just a minute. Rather than abandoning God... David knows he can trust God. God provides for us and we don't have to be afraid. Even when we're angry or our lives seem to be unraveling. David shows us how in Psalm 59 he pens this. At this time in history, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from my evildoers and and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me? Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. You are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I rely. You are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I rely. When it feels like it's all unraveling, or, th- or that life isn't fair, where do you turn? What story do you tell yourself about yourself, about God and your circumstances? When it's unraveling for David, he pursues God's heart in prayer. Where does Saul turn? Well, Saul's envy is raging once again. He begins to circle the wagons, and he's conspiring to kill David, digging himself an even deeper hole with God. 
But God hears David's prayer. Verse 11, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. Isn't that amazing? Now, not, not only has God used Jonathan for God's purposes and his glory, but God also uses Michael to spare David's life. And if God, using two of Saul's children to spare David's life, isn't enough for you to believe that we can trust God and understand that God provides for us and that we don't have to be afraid of anything life throws at us, I want you to see this. Verse 18. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Prophesying in this sense was, was a bunch of singing and dancing and laughing and carrying on, which means that they became distracted, and they did not do the things that Saul had ordered them to do. So Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. And I wonder if Saul was like me, an old baseball guy, and said, that's it, three strikes, and they're out, and I'm going to go take matters into my own hands and do this myself. And finally, the text tells us, he left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Siku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth at Ramah, they said, so Saul went to Naoth at Ramah. But the Spirit of God came even on him. The Spirit of God came on the one who had had the Spirit taken away from him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all day and all that night. This is why the people say, is Saul also among the prophets? And in chapter 20, verse 1, then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan. Three times, in three different ways, God spared David's life. Three times, and in three different ways. With Jonathan, with Michael, and with the Spirit of God. And three times, the Spirit fell upon Saul's servants, eventually even falling on Saul himself, if only momentarily. All of which shows us how David could continually pursue God's heart. David trusted God. God provided for David. And subsequently, David was not paralyzed by fear. 
And the number three in all of the threes had me thinking. Had me thinking about Jesus of Nazareth. Three times Peter denied Jesus before he was crucified. Three days after Jesus' death and burial, he was raised from the dead by God. And three times Jesus restored Peter. Friends, Jesus is all we need to trust God too. Jesus is all we need to grasp that God provides for us and we subsequently do not need to be afraid no matter what our circumstances are. Knowing there was no way that we could stand justified before a righteous God, God sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life through him. God provided a way where there was no way. And during his time of preaching and teaching among the people of Israel, Jesus was really clear about his reason for coming. Jesus never said that life in this world would be easy. He made no promises that life would be up and to the right like we want life to be. Nor did he promise that our lives would be devoid of trials, failure, frustration, or heartache. In fact, Jesus was really honest when he said, I have told you these things, all of the things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, on the cross... Jesus defeated death and overcame the world. And when he returned to the right hand of God, Jesus left one to be with us, a helper, the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. And in our anointing, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. The Spirit doesn't save us. It's Jesus who saves us. It's Jesus and our profession of faith in him that saves us. I want to be clear, the Spirit doesn't save us, but the Spirit empowers us, equips us, and sustains us. When our life feels like it's one ripped from the headlines and makes its way onto Law and Order SVU or in Grey's Anatomy, when the, draw, when the drama swirls and we feel like we're at the end of our rope, when one bad thing after another happens to you, your kids, or the people you care about. Thanks be to God for this text, for Jesus, and for the gift of the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to tell ourselves a different story. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us think clearly, and it's the Spirit who reminds us we can trust God, and it's the Spirit who reminds us that God provides for us, and it's the Spirit who helps us understand that we do not have to be afraid. I believe this deeply, and I know that it might sound a bit theoretical, so let me help you out. Because last week I was angered and saddened by an event that happened in the lives of one of our kids. The injustice and the unfairness of it all had me paralyzed. And for several days, 
the story I was telling myself about this event, the people involved, and, and the God who is watching over it all was debilitating. Now, it's not like I renounced my faith because I didn't. God is firmly on a throne, and Jesus is right there next to him in my life. But I also didn't really want to see what I was supposed to learn. That's also true. All of those things can be true for me, and they can be true for you. So I turned to God, and in my frustration, uh, we had it out in my truck. And I pursued God's heart. I was like, why, God? Seriously, why? And then the words of the psalmist came to the forefront, and I was like, how long, oh Lord, how long? And eventually, later in the week, Psalm 59, 9, 10 came too. You are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. And I'm seeing a little more clearly, which is usually the case, right? Time, perspective, and, and history all helped me realize that there is more going on than I realize, which was also true for David, and to remember that Jesus has overcome all of it. And I've had conversations with several of you this morning, um, and, and the, the, the implication and the invitation was, Pastor, we need to pray for rain. And I agree. And I want you to understand this, that we can trust God. God provides for us, and we do not have to be afraid. We can, right? I mean, we can be paralyzed in fear, but we have it right here. It's all over our text, and it's somebody trying to kill David. And we might have this, we might, the story we might tell ourselves is our crop is going to be gone. And I can only imagine, because I've never had to put a crop in the ground. But for a long time, my livelihood depended upon your success, farmers, and it still does. God, we can trust God over and over and over again. God has provided for us. We don't have to be afraid. So this week, when it feels like it's unraveling. I wonder what you would need to recall from this lesson from 1 Samuel 19 in order that you pursue God's heart. I, I wonder what you might need to remember in order to remember all that Jesus has done for you. And I wonder how the Spirit might help you tell a different story. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we desperately need you. And God, we bless you for this, for this story, for, for David's life, for Saul's life, for, for all of the mess that's going on here and how you can help us see God, that no matter what it is that we're doing, when we think that everything is unraveling, we can trust you. Because you provide for us and we do not have to be paralyzed 
by fear. Help us, O oh God. Because we're weak and feeble and, our, and our, our faith can waver and totter and give way unless you remind us. So Holy Spirit, would you remind us who's in control here? And God, we would take the rain. It's also true. And I think about the person who, who um, also feels like they're at the end of their rope. God, would you reach down to, to those who are sick, infirmed, those who are at the end of their life, and would you help them know that they too can trust you, you provide for them, and they do not need to be afraid. In the name of the Father. Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.